0: We're going to do something different today. I love it when an investor says to me, Michelle, this is a great book. I loved it. And let's jump into it and go through some of the ideas that um, uh, inform some of the skills that investors use and perhaps also can be translated and transferable to other areas of your life. So the title says it all. Richer, wiser, happier. How the world's greatest investors win in markets and in life. It's by William Green. We're going to run through some of the ideas of the book. It's the book pick of Chris Lee Susanto, my guest today. He's founder of rethinkwealth.com. That's re-thinkwealth.com. That's his value investing blog. A little bit of background of Chris. By 27, he was educating business owners and professionals who were much older than him in the art of stock investing and options as well. He's even mentored people like, uh, the ex-head of Grab and co-founder of Motorist.sg. So, Great pleasure to welcome Chris Lee Santo. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Hi, morning, Michelle. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to speak with you. All right. I think what's on a lot of investors' minds, uh, the focus on Wall Street, surely primarily falling on inflation, given the September inflation report uh, expected to show pricing pressures remain elevated. Uh, Any hotter than expected readings are going to unnerve some investors. And many traders say they're watching closely what Biden does regarding the nomination of Fed Chair Powell. Uh, A decision that could happen before or on October 13th. That's when the uh, term for the vice chair expires. Now, inflation, if we look back a couple of months, we've seen it, you know, reaching highs, touching highs that it has in more than 10 years, as it did in June. And that has some investors worried because rising prices can erode a portfolio's profit. So are there some moves that investors can take to shield their money from inflation, maybe even take advantage of the environment?
1: Um, well, Michelle, so the first thing that we have to know is that inflation is not new, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially after the pandemic and the reopening, of course, there's going to be some uh, upward pressures in in terms of inflation. So right now, what we want to see is whether the upward pressure are limited to uh, those products and services that are related to the reopenings or is it going to be quite uh, permanent and uh, they, they are going to raise up the interest rate sooner or later. So I think the key for investors is that they need to see whether the stocks that they own, the companies that they own in their portfolio, are they companies that are able to have pricing powers Or are they companies that really just consume a lot of cash in terms of uh, capital expenditures, new equipment on a regular basis without having that ability to increase prices? So I think like Buffett has mentioned multiple times in his uh, past annual reports Mm. that he says uh, the ability for a company to increase prices easily without the fear of significant loss of either market share or unit volume it's very, very important. And of course, that ability has to come uh, with the fact that they can also increase the volume. So I think the idea now is that it's all about the pricing power of the business. If they can increase the price without losing market share and without losing business, then they can sort of uh, negate the effect of inflation.
0: Isn't inflation also going to lead to a potential... I mean, we're also seeing supply bottlenecks, right? So what about that side of the equation?
1: Yeah, so... Is it, the key question is really, is it temporary or is it permanent, right? Mm -hmm. If it is, if it is temporary, then there's, there's a, there's, it's not, it's not very scary. But if it is permanent increase in prices, then it has to come down to the business itself Mm. on, on how strong the business is, how strong the competitive advantage is, uh, how innovative are the management, uh, in a way that they can innovate the products and services to have the, for example, the customer stickiness, or uh, mm. really just just uh just the ability to uh, make sure that the customers don't run away mm-hmm. even though they have to increase prices because of inflation. I mean, a a good local example is not a listed stock, but mm. Secret Lab, right? Secret Lab, the chair
0: makers, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Breaches. even the chair makers. Yeah. So first of all, their business strategy has always been a re- reasonably priced uh, uh with good quality products. So of course, if one of your strategies is price, for example, Costco or for example, like Value Dollar Shops and like Secret Lab, then uh, you are a little bit more affected, right? In terms of the increase in prices of, as you say just now, Supplies, uh, freight, logistics, so it all depends on what businesses and what stocks do you own, and you have to look at them individually.
0: Now consumers don't like it we don't like the idea of rising prices but as an investors we need to look at companies that have that strong pricing power um and you know companies that can not only pass on price hikes to their clients but also increase their margins during uh, a possible time of inflation and last time uh I was on air last week I did share three companies poised to do just that you can check out listener my market view minute uh last week where I talk about advanced auto parts cme group extra space Storage. But I want to ask you, Chris, in this environment, can you share with us a little bit about what's in your book? Are there stocks that you're adding to or that you're, you know, holding on? Maybe we can start with um, Facebook because they've been in the news recently, right? Because of that whistleblower testifying before Congress, stating that Facebook prioritizes profits over the well-being of its users. Um so we had a guest actually saying that he's staying away from Facebook because Facebook is entering an age of uncertainty and that these poor internal practices are going to fuel regulation problems and that he's on loan, that other shareholders are starting to worry as well. What about you?
1: Uh, Facebook is a stock that that, uh, that has uh, uncertainty and has regulatory problems. I would say Perpetually, <laughs> <For> you. <laughs> so you, yeah. I mean, like the story has been repeated many times. You, I think back in 2018 or like 2019, when Facebook fell to as low as 124 dollars, the story is the same. It's because of the data scandals, the Cambridge Analytica, and basically people were saying that you know Facebook is um. It, Um, I I might be going into obsolete and uh, there's so many regulatory uncertainty. So the key question here is really about user behavior, right? Because their competitive advantage and their mode and their differentiation as a business comes from really the user behavior because they make money from advertising and uh, how much they can make from advertising depends on how many users uh, stick to their platform. So for Facebook, I think the key is that with all the regulatory uncertainties, of course, we have to do a few like maybe you can call it like probability analysis in terms of what's the worst case scenario, what's the best case, and what's the most probable case. But for me, uh, if I myself is still using WhatsApp every day and WhatsApp, they haven't monetized it, so that is another huge potential revenue driver in the future, and if i see I still use Facebook and Instagram almost every day, if I go to the m r t train and then I see everyone using Instagram or Facebook, we see that the user behavior, the competitive advantage is very sticky right and that gives you a certain kind of uh a, a, a certain kind of feel that Facebook is not going away because it's very sticky. So, right now, the key is the valuation. So, with all the regulatory uncertainties, uh, how much margin of safety is uh, is there in its price? So, I think that's the key there. So, I don't think Facebook is going to go away. When I myself uh, stop using Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp regularly or when I see others doing that, then that could be, and I think that is a a clearer sign that Facebook is going away.
0: Great point. And I'll,
1: yeah. I'll be more worried. Yeah. Great
0: point, great point. You're still using Facebook <laughs> as often as always? Really?
1: For me, yes, because uh, <laughs> because I joined the groups and I have some interest. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. I stepped away from Facebook a long time ago. But oh. that's just me, I guess. How about uh, Instagram? Instagram, yeah, well, I prefer to keep my head in books, actual physical ebooks yeah yeah so i you know i was just reading about instagram and its effect on girls young girls especially in terms of you know how they feel about their body image and and i think there is it seems like such a big idea that instagram could affect your mental health or your the way you you look at yourself but these things sort of creep up on you and and so you know i prefer to stay old school and keep my head in books so i'm glad we're talking about a book in a while now um you know, this idea of being bearish on Facebook is not a popular view. In fact, when Bloomberg talked to 58 equity analysts, only three recommended selling Facebook shares, and their average 12-month target about 418, about sixty dollars yep, yep. above the target price. It's currently three thirty. So you, you'd agree mm. at four eighteen.
1: Yep, yep, yep. I think Facebook is worth uh, based on my evaluation which I use a uh, discounted cash flow model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's. It's worth around, uh, in my view, based on my assumptions, around four hundred and twenty dollars Yep. Yep.
0: All right, let's move now from Facebook to Micron. Shares of Micron, they fell last Tuesday despite strong fourth quarter results that came in above analyst expectations. I wonder if you can give us a little bit of background. We're talking about these two stocks because they are among the top three holdings in your portfolio, correct? So can yes. you give us a sense of Micron and uh, why you wanted to shine the spotlight on, on it right now? Um, I
1: think Micron is a cyclical company, traditionally has been a cyclical company. Mm. I've been holding it since it was in the 30s, 40s region, and it went up as high as close to $95 uh, early April this year, right? So Micron is a company that, for those who don't know, they provide memory and storage chips, and generally... uh they have a lot of uh, capital expenditures in terms of the innovation that they need to put into the memory and chips because memory and chips tend to quickly become uh, quite commoditized in this uh, competitive and cyclical space, right? Because price is key for people to buy for the companies like uh, Samsung, iPhone, to buy these uh, chips from them. So basically my... Thinking with regards to Micron is basically I just want to wait until it reaches sort of the high high cycle mm-hmm. of the prices, and uh, it in my view hopefully is around based on my assumptions, 80s, 90s, hundreds. Then there's quite a good pricing range mm-hmm. that I will I will consider to start to sell. And uh, what I like about Micron is that. Uh, they have really good management, in my view, mm. and uh, yeah, Sanjay, right? So uh, Sanjay
0: Mehrota, yeah.
1: Yes, yes. So, so he used to be uh he used to be the founder of, if I'm not wrong, Sandisk,
0: mm. and uh, yes, he sold off
1: Sandisk, and their balance sheet, I think, is one of the strongest in the business, with the cash exceeding the debt levels, right, in recent years. Uh, thanks to a very strong operating cash flow. So you see, although Micron is a cycle business, mm-hmm. you see many good points uh, in Micron uh, with regards to management, debt management, as well as innovation, yeah. as well as its cash flow. Uh, because you notice that the previous uh, trough, the previous uh, down of the cycle is actually higher than the previous cycle. So you see that although it's a cyclical company, mm. but I I think because of their innovation and their focus on providing chips to more users, like they are also providing chips to the uh, driverless uh, vehicles, things like this, which which tend to be less cyclical. Mm. So overall, all the direction is, in my view, is in a good direction.
0: Yeah, I like this quote from Micron CEO Sanjay Mehrota saying that he sees semiconductor growth because he thinks that cars are going to become data centers on wheels. And if you look at the sort of things cars can do now, right, just by pointing on the dashboard uh, and you think of the 5G rollout, you you can understand why you he believes that there's going to be immense growth for semiconductors in, in the near yeah. future. Really robust yeah, yeah. demand.
1: Yeah, and uh, and uh, one of my uh, favorite investor, he's called Monish Pabrai. so mm-hmm. he's also in the book that you mentioned just now. He's in
0: chapter I, one.
1: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, so his portfolio basically consists of uh, just just uh, just three stocks, and ah. he's managing about two hundred and eighty million dollars. So Micron is worth about. Let me see. it's... A, Almost about
0: close to half of its portfolio. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. you yeah. very concentrated investors. Yeah.
0: I love that first chapter of the book that we're going to talk to in just a while. Happier, Richer, Wiser by William Green. Yeah. Because the first chapter talks about this guy who basically just, you know, mirror copies, right? And now it's quite common, right? Copy trading or mirror trading. Uh, but we'll get to yeah. that in a bit. Uh, let's first look at um, Ula. So they're an Indonesian e-commerce startup, and they were in the news because, you know, when Jeff Bezos um, participates in in a round and it's his first ever investment in Indonesia and even Southeast Asia, all the eyeballs go to this Ula and they say, what are they in? So they're an Indonesian B2B commerce startup and uh, they're in, in the buy-now-pay-later field. Uh, I wanted to ask what you think of the outlook for the buy-now-pay-later sector here in Asia and whether or not this is on your watch list.
1: Uh, I do have a couple of, maybe one or two stocks that are in the buy now, pay, la- pay later schemes industry, mm-hmm. um, mostly in the US. Uh, but I do not have any BNPL stocks in my portfolio. And I think what the key is that I'm still trying to figure out, right, Michelle, like mm-hmm. what do you think is the competitive advantage and uh, what's the, the long term uh, direction of, of the company, and do they really have much of a strong competitive advantage and differentiation? Because first of all, if it's not managed correctly, uh, to the regulations is dangerous because there might be a risk to household debt, right? And yep. that is one of the concerns of the MAS as well. When they are now like considering if they should, uh, if they should have a regulatory framework. For buy now, pay later companies, but uh, it's not only in, in Singapore. In the US, you know, I think there's also some uh, views and like uh, regulations with regards to buy now and pay, la- pay later. If you think about it, overall, in terms of like I would say, uh, in terms of good finance, good personal finance, we should be living below our means, right? Absolutely. And we should, and we should not. Uh, and we should not overspend. And I think by now, pay later poses a uh, risk to people overspending. And not only that, because BNPL is not free, right? So, so not only you are spending money that you don't currently want to pay, pay right now. You are actually paying more in the future. And the amount that you are paying more in the future, I'm sure is uh, is a quite a uh, Quite a huge amount of interest rate, and therefore mm. these firms can exist. Mm. So it, it's a bit I'll, I wouldn't call it like a, a like a like like a loan shark, but uh, it's basically like saying that okay, I help you pay now, yeah, but yeah. you will pay in the future in instalment with high interest
0: rate. I agree with you. Every time I step into Sephora, somebody comes up to me and asks me whether I want to sign up for a buy now, pay later scheme. And Mm. uh, it's very dangerous for me in Sephora because I want to buy everything that I see. So I I personally do not like anything to do with buy now, pay later. In fact, when people pitch me buy now, pay later stories, I grill the companies when they come on this show because I think it's Ah. very important. There's a lack of consumer education as to, you know, nothing is free as you say in this world, right? So what is the real cost of you being able to pay later. That's very important for me. But as uh, some say, exactly. listen, globally Gen Z, millennials, they have the same characteristics. They're mobile first, they want to buy because they have this need to express themselves and they want to be smart about their finances as well. And some say retail in Asia already has this turnkey, tailor-made solution in terms of the buy now, pay later sector, mm. um, which, which it can, could really take off. But yeah, whether or not you get into it is... You you know, dependent on on your views as an investor. Now, speaking of investors, I know you're passionate about this book, Happier, Richer, Wiser by William Green. I think it's a fantastic read, so entertaining, and I I got a lot out of it. In fact, I'm going to read it... with a fine tooth comb again. Mm. Now, um, okay. William Green is a financial journalist. I think that's why I like him because, you know, uh-huh. it's kind of no nonsense. But can you tell me what you think about the book? Why you like it? And do you think that some of these skills of billionaire investors are these skills transferable? Can I learn
1: this? De- definitely. I think, I think a lot of things in life are transferable we just need to know the right sources right that can help us to develop better habits in life in fact in fact you uh you know that our brain itself it's uh, it, it can change throughout our life and that is the principle of the neuroplasticity and i think why the book is good uh, because it touches not only in terms of uh, investment, in terms of money, but also in terms of our health, our mental well-being, our body, our mind. So so we call it our whole self, right? Which is very, very important as an investor. Because you notice that uh, although money could allow us to live uh, better, more comfortable, but money itself is not enough in terms of having... a uh, fulfilling life in terms of having the right kind of mental state. So some of the habits and some of the things that the book has uh, taught me, and I'm sure you've read some of them, uh, Michelle, are really very, very important things. So first of all, in the first chapter, Ammonish Pabrai, he often talks about uh, resilience in in terms of uh, the ability to take pain, which are essential for great investors, because stocks don't go up uh, perpetually. It goes down, it goes sideways, then it goes up, and then it goes down, and then it goes sideways, and then it goes down again. So, so, so basically, Michelle, we are often um, uh, ha- uh, having this kind of uh, uh, sort of cues, right? A sort of cues in terms of the stock prices we mustn't let them affect our investment decisions and we should be in a state of mind where we are able to really enjoy life and be present and we should not be affected by all these uh, stock prices and that's where it's very important for investors to understand and of course there are some of Additional uh, habits that the great investors uses. For example, uh, Nick Slip in one of the chapters, he talked about, which I think is very, very, very good. Which he talked about destination analysis. Uh, have you read that uh, that chapter, Michelle?
0: Not yet, not yet.
1: Okay, so destination analysis is basically saying that. He's not, okay, by the way, he's one of the early investors of Amazon and I think he's helped like Amazon for decades. So, so you know that holding such companies, such growth companies uh, tends to be very very volatile. In fact, stocks are volatile. But if you understand the company well enough to know that what are the destination that you can see where this company is heading into, mm. I think it is very, very helpful to make the big money and also to keep a balanced state of mind. Where you can uh, still be happy and not be uh, be affected by the volatility. So I often say, and uh, I I often say that in life, it's the journey that's important, right? You need to be mindful, aware, and like treasure people and like appreciate the moment. But in investing, the destination is key, because in investing, the daily stock price movements is not as important as whether we are right or whether we are wrong in terms of where it's going to end up. Because most people sell before it's going to end up at the place where, where, where they actually bought it for. So that means that most people lose in terms of the mind and the mental and the state of mind in mm-hmm. stocks. Yeah.
0: I guess the difficulty is how do you make a decision as an investor when you don't know the future is changing even as we speak. So this destination surely is shifting as well.
1: Yes, 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 for sure, and that's why for Nick Slip right, he only hold like three stocks. Hmm. So, uh, he's a very concentrated investor as well, and I myself, am a very concentrated investor too. So the idea is really, you must I, in my view, if we have one hundred stocks, right, then we really need to spend a lot, a lot of time and mental energy to truly understand all the one hundred stocks and look at all the quarterly earnings. And also any news that are related to the fundamentals of the company. But if you don't have so many stocks, in my view, it's quite an advantage because you can uh, understand them more Mm
0: -hmm. and you
1: can understand them deeper. And the probability of you being able to make better decisions tend to go up over time.
0: Yeah, and you're not yeah. at risk of you know feeling pulled in so many different directions from the continual bombardment from news about these different yep. companies, right?
1: Yes, yes, yes. It is a and mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. And uh, that takes us to always be in the right state of mind. So if you look at the chapters in the book, I think a lot of the great investors talk about the right state of mind and the routines that actually help them. So, I mean, for me... I, uh, I know that I do meditation twice a day. You do for how long each time? Each time about twenty minutes, wow, about twenty long. to twenty-three minutes. Yeah, mm,
0: you can work um, yourself up to that, uh, listener. I mean, twenty minutes is quite long to get started at a go for the first yeah. time. You know, what I mean, you can work your way up. I'm sure.
1: Yep, yep. So the specific meditation that I do is a non-religious meditation called transcendental meditation, mm-hmm. which are which are also practiced by, I'm sure you know Ray Dalio. Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah, in the US it's quite, it's quite popular and there's scientific evidence that it can help even kids with ADHD to focus better.
0: Wow, yes, I remember uh, Tom Hanks also you know, talked about mm. um, Transcendental Meditation, how you do yeah. it backstage.
1: Yeah. yeah, very, very simple to do as well. You don't need any music or any specific place.
0: So, why is meditation important for you as an investor? Because of
1: the requirement of being a good investor to have this thing called equanimity. That means that in the face of uh, challenges, in the face of things coming at you, you are able to see from the point of view of someone who is not sucked into the moment. Instead, you are able to see the moment Mm. and as a result, you are able to respond. You are able to respond correctly instead At, of responding automatically
0: has transcendental has meditation helped you respond to the now better is that why you keep doing it and you do it twice a day
1: yeah definitely it basically improves the overall in terms of my health you know i don't get sick as easily basically because you know that most of health problems if i'm not wrong i read somewhere comes from inflammation right like your gut and you feel like yeah but if you do like meditation and you do it correctly so I I've learned from a proper teacher, so I think it helps if you learn from <laughs> from, from, from a proper teacher and not just online. And like, yeah, it helps yeah. to like reduce your inflammation. And basically throughout the day, you just feel more, more like at peace. And when yeah. you feel like there's some stress, I think you're able to cope better, uh, cope right? better with, with regards to your biology, with regards to your body.
0: Mm, autonomic so nervous system lot. I love that yeah, Are, are yeah, there other practices yeah. That you can share with us That you do So you meditate
1: Yeah so I meditate I've recently started yoga uh, uh, Yoga And I've uh, jogged quite regularly So I usually do days, The best that I can So I think like yoga Also helps a lot And jogging helps Because I think Any exercise that Involves the breathing Like if you breathe heavily And then you are able To control it I think that will be very transferable habit into our daily life. Because most of the time you notice that when we are stressed, uh it's the breathing. If we are able to, you know, take a step back and then uh control our breathing better and that sort of like, reduces the overall impact and you are not as reactionary, you're more of you're more aware. Lah. And also of course, uh mindfulness, right? I love like reading and and like trying my best to be in the moment uh, all the time. Of course, that's very hard. But uh, you, you basically try to go back into the moment as often as you can.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, this is unexpected. I didn't think we'd wander over into, you know, what we need habits (laughs) to live our lives better, but this is just great. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and sharing today.
1: My pleasure, Michelle.
0: The book that Chris Lee Susanto is recommending that you read is Richer Wiley. Richer, wiser, happier, how the world's greatest investors win in markets and life by William Green. I like it, you know, simple ideas, but it can have profound impact on not just hopefully your portfolio, but also your sense of well-being. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.